Welcome everyone to this week's edition of the Commercial Real Estate 101 Meetup Group. Uh, for those of you guys who are tuning in for the first time, uh, we started this back in 2020, uh, somewhat in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, but we, I just felt there wasn't as much uh, resources out there uh, pertaining to just learning about the commercial real estate industry. And so we just started doing these bi-monthly meetings where we started to reach out to people from all across the country uh, to learn about a variety of different commercial real estate topics. And today we have a good buddy of mine, Logan Hartle, uh, who's a commercial agent in North Carolina, uh, to stop by to talk about a very important topic, in particular now that you know we're starting to go and, and we're starting to see uh, you know recessionary concerns coming into play. I think it's going to be ever more uh, crucial for us to you know refine our prospecting efforts. So I think it's going to be great to to learn more about uh, how you approach the the process, Logan. So welcome. Absolutely, thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. This is uh, this is cool. I'm excited to be here. Awesome, man. Yeah, I know. We're excited to have you. And for those of you guys who don't know, actually, I connected with Logan just through this stuff. You know, we do a lot of, you know, virtual stuff and we just just so happen to connect because we're all contract creators on commercial real, in the commercial real estate uh, realm. And so we've just been in touch ever since and we've done, you know, things together here and there and just excited, uh, again, like I said, to host you today to talk a little bit about uh, prospecting. So one of the things that we typically like to do when we first get started is we like to learn a little bit more about the person who's, you know, across the table from us. So if you don't mind kind of sharing your backstory, I think that'd be awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I am uh, by, by training, much like you, I'm i uh, I'm, and by education, I'm an industrial engineering uh, major at a college, uh, left that and spent about 10 years in manufacturing. Uh, I was, I went to the West Virginia university for that and, and spent most of my manufacturing tenure in West Virginia um, the last five years of that tenure, I actually owned my own manufacturing company. Um, so I, I bought a, a, a hand tool manufacturing company with uh, two partners of mine. We ended up selling that company back in 2020 um, and kept the real estate. Um, I've always been fascinated with real estate. I've always loved real estate. Read the book Rich Dad Poor Dad when I was 18 and just just immediately was hooked to it. I have family that's in the the residential real estate side of things, so just kind of grew up with it and was always around it. And I knew when I sold that business that real estate was what I wanted to do with my life, um, both on the investment side and day to day as a broker. So, um, you know, for me, the the options were out there: do I start a new business? Do I you know I go do I go work for somebody? Um, and you know, I had been doing. Uh, some residential and some commercial brokerage for myself uh, for a couple of months, three or four months by the time uh, we had sold that business um, and just decided to go full-time and just, just head first into that. And it's been a great decision. I, I, I've, I've loved it ever since and currently live in the Charlotte market. Um, I'm in the Charlotte area. Um, just, I live about 20 minutes North of the city, but work all over the North and South Carolina trying to help investors find uh, commercial real estate investments. So that's uh that's primarily me and, and where I came from and where I'm at now. Awesome. Yeah. And like you mentioned, I actually studied this. You, we talk about this all the time, but I studied industrial engineering too um, and, and minor in economics and then got into the software space. So, you know, talk a little bit about that transition because that's another thing is I, the question that I get all the time is like, why make that, that jump? Because it, 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 it seems somewhat, yeah. you know, kind of foreign to a lot of people. It is. I mean, I, I think there's, it, you got to have the, the right, mentality as an engineer i think industrial engineers in general tend to be a little bit more business minded and business focused you know they, they go into mm -hmm. it I, and this is just my thought process a lot of industrial engineers that i know aren't necessarily the type of engineers that are interested in in you know designing products or design you know in the in the intricacies of of you know hardcore design 
but they they love the business world and they love to to look at processes and re-engineering processes and making things more efficient and more effective and i think that lends itself really well to the business world but what it doesn't teach you and what you don't learn in that space is sales and that's something that i've had to to fall on my face over and over and over again to learn um you know spend a lot of time listening to seminars, reading books, things like that, and trying to, to, to tweak that and just become a better salesperson. So that's probably the biggest transition and probably the biggest, uh, you know, I don't want to say hiccup, but the ro- biggest roadblock, I would say, from transitioning from an engineering role or maybe any role, really, that's not sales related into the broker's world um, or into any sort of business realm, really, is, is you have to have that sales uh, ability if you have a startup business or if you're trying to get into the brokerage world, you have to be able to sell. So that was, that was probably the biggest hurdle for me. Yeah, no, I, I, that's similar to me. I mean, the same with you. I mean, I, I, I had no sales experience prior to that. I mean, like you said, in, in college, there's, there's really not a lot of focus on that, obviously, because you know, that your mm-hmm. discipline is more so related to process engineering, which again, that, that does help immensely in a variety of different ways. And we'll touch on a little bit later as you built out your systems, how you've been able to yep. you know manage that process. But you know, from the sales side of things, you're right. I mean, it's it's definitely a and and, and sales you can't learn by reading it in a book. I mean, you can learn certain techniques, but a lot of it is just getting out there and falling on your face, like you've like you've mentioned uh, in the in the past. So one thing I wanted to ask you was related to you know the process of getting into the the the, the prospecting mode essentially, because yeah. you know when a lot of people first start out, you know it, it's one of those things that's kind of somewhat daunting. First off, you don't even know where to go as far as sourcing some of that information, and so. You know, if you could touch yep. on, you know, where you were able to access some of the information to be able to sure. begin the process, I think that'd be helpful. Yeah, so it it is a very daunting, very, very daunting task to get started in the world of prospecting. Not only not only the thought process of just cold outreach, there's there's a mental aspect to get over um, with that, that that we can touch on as well. Um, but th- there's a very uh, big organizational component to that where you know, you can't just look up somebody, make a phone call, you know, not take any notes, not keep track of anything and then move on to the next or you won't be very effective. So um, for me, we, we had some processes or not some processes, but we had some some tools at our firm, uh, primarily Reonomy and CoStar that were that were vital for me for gathering that data and getting information. And, and for me, I, I look I'm an industrial investment sales broker, so I focus on the industrial space. Um, so I, I was able to utilize those tools to compile lists of owners in the area around specific types of criteria that I was looking for. Um, and that was really the tool, but there's, there's, you know, it's pretty accessible to find access to those lists, whether you're utilizing one of those services or you're hiring someone. I most re- I more recently hired someone on, uh, on Fiverr to go compile a list for me. That's kind of a specific uh, niche area around one of my listings. So I can start to hit uh, people around my listings and try to a sell that, but other uh, and b pick up more listings. But that information is is relatively available. You got to pay for it, but it's relatively available out there. But it's what you do with that that's really going to make you effective or not. So um, you know, it, it took me a while to really build a system out around that and keeping track of that. Initially, it was spreadsheets, and I was keeping track of everything in spreadsheets. Um, and more recently, you know, over the last year, I, I've developed that system into more of a, a CRM-based management system. So I, I'm putting everything into my CRM. I'm setting follow-up reminders for, for leads that, that either are warm leads or, or leads that I've touched base with. Uh, and then I use a, a, a dialer. I do a lot of cold calling. We've talked about this in the past. I do a lot of cold calling and cold email outreach. Um, and so I have one software that I utilize that 
uh, helps me organize uh, different email campaigns. And I have another, uh, the CRM, I have a dialer that I have attached to that that helps me with, uh, with keeping track of all the dials that I make. Um, it'll automatically pull all those leads and dials out into that software and, and import back into the software, you know, call times and any notes that I make, so on and so forth. So I don't have to do that double entry. Um, and so I've, I've started to implement some of those tools into my business and it's been very helpful. Oh, I can only imagine. Yeah. And we'll dive into some of the systems just so people can kind of get an idea of how you structure that. But going, going, going yeah. next up is, you know, you mentioned the, the starting point. So, you know, similar to you, when I first got started, I utilized CoStar primarily. And then, you know, I was, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I would just literally, you know, took a big list of properties, you know, our brokers did a lot on the retail side. So I do a bunch of retail buildings and I just started calling people and said, Hey, you know, I'm so-and-so with this group. And, you know, we're, we're bro commercial brokers in the area and just want to make, uh, introduce myself to see if you ever had any, you know, commercial real estate service needs in the future. Yep. And that's all I did down the list. And, you know, it, it was very long and cumbersome as far as the process was concerned, but you know, that I gained a little bit of traction doing that, but I'm sure there's other ways you can approach or structure an, a call to see if you can maximize, sure. you know, the, the, the value you receive from it. So if you could kind of share with us, you know, what is your approach when, before you reach out to someone and then during the call, how do you structure mm -hmm. it so that you try to, you know, extract as much valuable information as possible? Sure. So in the investment space, as you can probably all imagine, um, you know, investors typically, some of them are handed properties when, when someone, you know, passes, but a lot of the folks who are there bought it and, and understand the investment world, right? So they've, they may have 10 different properties, 20 different properties. They're going to buy and sell throughout the year throughout the, you know, as, as a property is ready to sell, they're going to sell it. So long story short, you know, I started contacting investors and asking them what they wanted. So from the brokerage world, I started reaching out to private equity groups. I started reaching out to REITs. I started reaching out to, to these larger groups that had cash and were buying up a lot of assets and said, what is it that you're looking for? And let me find that for you. Um, and a majority of those are not going to hire you as an exclusive buyer's rep, which is okay, which is fine with me. They, they you know, if you bring them the deal, you're going to get paid. Um, and that's kind of how I started to build an idea. And I, I probably talked to 50, 60, 100 different groups and started, started to build this sense of the market of what are people looking to buy. And that's what I tailored my list to. So I like that approach because now when I call a, a, an owner of a property, um, I have folks who are ready to buy that property if it makes sense and so it makes that conversation a little bit easier but as i said these are these are oftentimes investors so uh, we'll, we'll jump into a few different groups that i call on but in the investment group that i call on um, a majority of the time they're looking for more assets as well so i typically start that conversation the same way i did with the private equity groups uh, i started with you know hey my name's logan hartle just reaching out to touch base i see you own one two three main street and they say yep you know, they, they're, you're usually very standoffish at first. Yeah. What do you want? You know, they're thinking I'm going to try to sell them something. And I usually say, well, you know, a lot of folks like you own a lot of those properties and are looking for more. Are you still acquiring those assets? And then their ears kind of perk up because most people in that investment space are looking for more assets and they'll say, yeah, you know, we are, we're, we're, we're continuing to buy every once in a while you get someone that just doesn't want to talk to you and will say no. But, you know, from a broker's perspective, you know, investors want good relationships with brokers because brokers bring them good deals. So when you, when you, phrase it like that and you start with that, they tend to open up a little bit more because now you're bringing value. You know, hey, if I were to find you the right deal, what would that look like for you? And they'll say, they'll typically give me that criteria as well, just like the, the REITs and just like the big private equity groups do. 
Um, and I'll say, okay, great. And then, you know, if you needed to sell that, or do you need to sell any of your properties in order to buy this new asset that you want to buy? And they'll say, you know, sometimes they'll say yes, sometimes they'll say no. If they say, nope, we hold everything, we don't sell anything. I say, okay, great, great. Well, I have your criteria, um, but just, just to double check, there's nothing in your portfolio that's, you know, kind of a pain in the butt property, nothing that you're having trouble getting leased up, nothing like that. And, and that just, just continuing to ask those a couple few follow-up questions and keeping it just that conversational tends to open doors and, and, and open people to having a conversation that's not just a sales pitch, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes they will. Sometimes they'll say, yep, you know, actually, I, I do have that one over in, you know, Salisbury that hasn't rented for a while. You know, if somebody wants to buy that, I might sell that one. And then now the conversation's open and I can start to do what I need to do. Um, and then in, me, in the meanwhile, I've now picked up another buyer because I can keep their criteria for later investments that do come up. So that's typically how I approach the scenario from an investor standpoint. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned, you know, a few systems you have there pertaining to capturing that information. So is it, mm-hmm. is it something like where, you know, you say it's an industrial property, you say, you know, we're really looking for properties in the 25,000 square foot to 50,000 square foot range, you know, mm-hmm. that have these types of tenants, maybe they're in this price point. Are those like tags mm-hmm. that you, you put on these individuals so yep. that, you know, when you do get an opportunity, Absolutely. you can just do a search real quick and say, okay, in my CRM, how many people fall within this line and yep. you individually reach out to them to offer them the, the, the opportunity. Is that correct or no? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can make, you can make a ton of different tags. So you have some people that want to buy retail and industrial in this. So, you know, when I get a deal, if it's a, if it's an industrial deal, I can sort through that industrial. Now I've got a tag that is, you know, their budgets under a million dollars now, and then maybe a million to five and then some that only buy North of 10. And so I have all those tags built in there. So whenever I get that property, I can quickly sort through and say, okay, I've had these conversations with these 13 people that said they want this type of asset. Now I can reach out to them with the asset. So that's, uh, that's typically how I go about it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, 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 and pertaining to the, uh, the conversation, because another thing is when you do cold outreach and you don't necessarily have an agreement mm-hmm. with someone because they don't want to sign a exclusive agreement or, yeah. you know, with the, the landlord too, sometimes they're hesitant about, you know, signing any type of listing agreement. How do you approach that sure. conversation when you do, ultimately provide them with an opportunity to, to sell? Yeah. So typically what I do is we, we utilize a couple different things. We have, we have some non-exclusive agreements uh, that, that we have that are limited representation agreements. Um, and in a scenario in which if it's a difficult sale and I know it's going to be a difficult sale, I always push for an exclusive agreement because it's, it, we're going to take time. We're going to have to build a marketing package around this. We're going to have to do that. If it's a property that uh, I know that are, there are buyers for, and it's a good deal and it's a good asset. Um, you know, oftentimes I won't mind having that, that uh, limited representation agreement, which basically says the seller can still sell it themselves. If somebody else comes along, um, they, can, they can still sell the property without paying me. But if I find the buyer, I've already pre-agreed my commission. You're on, you know, we, we've already done all of our disclosures for, you know, you know, the real estate agency disclosures that pretty much every state has. Um, and we've gotten all that stuff out of the way. But I've secured a commission and I can now go to those, you know, like I said, 13 people and say, hey, I've got a deal for you. Are you interested? Um, and sometimes they won't pay. Sometimes they won't pay. And, you know, that conversation shifts back to those investors. That is, you know, look, I've got a, an asset. Uh, I'd love to put it in front of you, but the seller's not paying commission. Are you willing to? And if they are, then, you know, we can go that way as well. 
Um, and as long as there's disclosure there, most most states have some sort of disclosure that you have to disclose to both parties to say who you're representing and who you're working for. So as long as, you know, the number one rule in brokerage, disclose, 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 then, you know, we can we can try to find out who we're going to work for at that point. And, if, you know, again, it's, it, unfortunately, sometimes, you know, no one's willing to pay and, you know, you, you end up you end up trying to find someone who will. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, just like any other business, we we don't work for free. So we. Yep. Uh, you know, that, that's why a lot of investors are willing to do it. I have a lot of conversations with private equity groups that very much up front are very open about it. Look, you know, I'll pay you X percent if you bring me a good deal and I'll, you know, I'll sign on that before you give me the deal. If you say, hey, I got a good one for you. And, you know, as long as I haven't seen the deal already, I'm happy to sign with you. You know, so yeah. uh, I like having those conversations. And, and obviously, just like in any business, you know, if you have somebody that's willing to pay you, you're t- going to tend to lean towards those people. Right. Absolutely. And and I think it's just important to note that that's the case because, you know, just yeah. because you reach out to someone and someone may be interested in selling a property, if both if either party is not willing to pay, then, you know, obviously that puts you as a broker in a unique situation that, you know, is, is tough mm-hmm. sometimes. So, you know, that's why sure. I think your your efforts to talk to so many different people to, to have that conversation mm-hmm. up front about, you know, their their ability to, you know, if, if I bring you this opportunity, would you be willing to cover the commission if, in fact, the seller for some reason is unwilling to do so? Again, the disclosure exactly. piece is really important um, to, to, to kind of disclose. And it can be an uncomfortable uh, conversation at times, but, you know, <laughs> when you're talking about sophisticated investors, you know, th- those yeah. individuals understand, like, they, 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 they most of the people understand 100%. that you're not going to work for free. And hopefully, if exactly. you bring them a really good enough deal, I mean, the, the commission is not not a big deal for them. So, absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah. Oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Logan. Go ahead, Logan. No, no, absolutely. And and I've had scenarios where you know I've had those conversations with those folks in advance, um, and then I found an exclusive opportunity, and I have to tell that that buyer, say, hey, look, I'm still bringing this to you, but just so you know, I represent the seller in this scenario, and they don't yeah. care. They're they're sophisticated. They're used to that. And they're like, okay, great. We just want the deal. You know, we just want to see the deal. So. Absolutely. No, yep. great, great advice. So, so as far as the cadence of, of follow-up, because mm-hmm. obviously, you know, as what the, what they say, like 80% or 90% of phone calls go to voicemail a lot of times, especially if it's a number yep. they don't recognize. So yep. I guess, what is your cadence of follow-up? And it, I guess when you do reach out, uh, are you switching it up periodically? Or is it one of those things where, you know, sometimes there, there's two schools of thought. They think, you know, one, leave a voicemail, the other just don't leave a voicemail. Uh, but what do you think yeah. as far as that's concerned? And then I guess what's the cadence yeah. of, of, of follow-up? Yeah, so so I'll categorize those in two different categories. So people who I've already spoken with who, who may have given me some sort of hint that they might want to sell in the future, um, I'll typically kind of feel that by, by the conversation. Uh, if I get the vibe that they say, you know, especially if they say, hey, look, you know, call me back in two weeks. You know, I'll be ready then. Then I'm going to set a, an every two week follow. up. I'll probably set an every week and a half follow up because I've had enough deals where someone says call me in a month and I call them in three weeks and they've sold the property. So I typically shorten that time a little bit and just say, hey, look, I know you told me to call you in a couple weeks from now. Just wanted to touch base, make sure everything's OK, see if there's anything I can do for you. And usually they're just fine with that. If that's that's more of a scenario where I've been given a and a, 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 you know, a definitive follow up time in scenarios when which. I haven't, and I've gotten just kind of a warm lead with somebody. It may be every every other week. It may be every month, um, and I'll put those in my CRM. And so kind of my daily routine is to go in and check those tasks before I go to cold call and cold outreach. I'll check all the follow-up tasks that I have set for myself for the day. So there may be three today. There may be 20 tomorrow, but those are the first people I call, and I do that follow-up with them. 
Uh, and then for the folks who are uh, on those lists, you know, I may have lists that have two, 3,000 people on them. So as I'm working through there, it's going to take me a while to get back around at the top. So oftentimes I'll just straight call through and just keep mm-hmm. going and keep track of based on the last time I called and start with the fresh ones who I haven't spoken to. Um, and I do, I do leave voicemail. So I, I've, I've had significant uh, uh, luck with folks calling back uh, after, after leaving a voicemail. Sometimes it's the next day, sometimes it's three weeks later. So I do like to leave voicemail. Some people don't. Um, for me, since I am calling through such a large list of, of folks, I like to leave that voicemail because I may not get back to them for a month. Um, and so I like to leave that voicemail just in case they, they do want to follow up. I do have them pre-programmed. So in the, the ring, uh, the dialer that I use, it'll start dialing somebody. And if they pick up, great, we can have a conversation. If it goes to voicemail, I can click a button and it drops that voicemail and immediately starts dialing the next one. So I can pre-record those voicemails and then drop them. So it, it speeds up that process quite a bit, but I do like to leave voicemails. That's awesome. I didn't know that that actually, yeah, that, that's, that's great. Cause that's one of the things that I was, when I first started, it was, it was, you know, you took so much time to leave voicemails and everything else. And, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, I mean, yeah. if you're, if you're trying to hit through a list, it's important to kind of yeah. you know, make sure that that actually works, but yeah. that's interesting. And then as exactly. far as, the, go ahead, go ahead, Logan. No, no. Like you said, especially if 80 to 90% of them go to voicemail. So yeah. I've, I've had times where I've sat down and I've, I've blocked out a time of, you know, an hour to make, to make 50 calls. And because the dialer is so fast and because almost all of them went to voicemail, I finished all those 50 dials and dropped, you know, 40 voicemails in 25 minutes. And so like, that's a, it's a huge time savings there. I mean, even if you did that once a day, I mean, and for everyone listening, if you took once a day and spent a half hour to drop 40 voicemails, how much would your business grow? Yeah. I mean, it's game changing. You're going to get leads. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you think about it, you do that five days a week. If you talk about regular work week, maybe you could add a sixth day in there if you want to, but let's just say five yeah. days a week, 40 voicemails, that's 200 a, a week. I mean, mm-hmm. 800 a month, even yeah. if you, even if you get yeah. a 5% callback, I mean, that's pretty, still pretty solid. That's so a lot of calls, 40, yep. 40 calls, 40 conversations. So, yeah. I mean, no doubt. I mean, mm-hmm. that's ama- That's amazing uh, insights that you shared regarding that. So as far as the um, systems that, that you implement, we kind of alluded to that. Can you kind of share maybe what, what CRM you use and then maybe some of the, like the dialer that you've, you mentioned and any mm-hmm. other systems yeah. that you think would be pertinent for us as far as, you know, listeners? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So I, I currently use uh, Zoho CRM and I'm, I, I'm, I think I'm going to be transitioning to Pipedrive. Um, I, I've messed, I've messed around with Pipedrive a little bit and I really like the simplicity of it. Uh, and so I think I'm going to be utilizing that. We've talked a little bit, uh, Raphael offline about monday.com. I use monday.com to kind of manage my listings and, and anyone who I'm, you know, kind of starting that process of underwriting the property and moving them through the listing procedure and, and Pipedrive integrates really well with monday.com. So I'm looking at making that switch. Um, so I really like that. And I, uh, my, my dialer is ring.io is the one I use. And it's a, it's a Google, uh, plugin. It's a, Google, a Chrome plugin. And so it, it's actually kind of nice because you can, you can utilize it to, t- to attach to your CRM and you'll export a list and you'll start dialing through that. And like I said, it, it will take all of your notes and take all of your call logs and re-import them back into your software. So you don't have to make any double entry, but it also attaches right to your Chrome, uh, browser. So as you're walking, looking through anything, a spreadsheet, a document, a, uh, you know, anything online, you can click right on that and it'll immediately start dialing through your phone. So as you're on your, your desktop, it'll immediately start dialing through. So I kind of like that. I like the plugin. Um, I used, I, I have used uh, one called phone burner before, 
which I liked as well, uh, but it was a pricing thing. The, the, the ring.io I found to be about half the cost. So um, with both of them being, you know, servicing me as, as, as I need, I chose to go with the one that was a little less expensive. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and I guess yeah. as pricing is concerned, is it like a monthly fee or a year annual fee, or I guess you can probably. Is, I, I think, similar. I think ring was a monthly fee. I think it was a monthly. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. I think both of them actually were monthly fees. And I think and Ring was was around sixty or seventy dollars a month, and and phone burner when I was using it was around one hundred and fifty. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, for sixty bucks a month, if you can burn through, uh, you know, fifty calls in thirty or forty minutes and drop a lot of voicemails, it seems well worth it. Definitely, no, I couldn't agree more. So, I guess another thing that that's kind of curious is you alluded to other efforts along with the the calling side of things. Are there any other methods mm-hmm. that you think that you employ that is that are also effective in generating potential leads? Absolutely. So I like to follow up with people in a lot of different ways. Um, if something is, uh, you know, if, if I'm just calling through blanketly, I'm, I'm calling through, as I said, if I've got voicemail, so if I have 2000 phone numbers, I, or excuse me, emails, if I have 2000 phone numbers, I may have, you know, six, seven, 800 really good emails out of that. And I'll take those and put them into an email campaign as well. And I use a, a service called MailShake. And you're able to, it's just M-A-I-L-S-H-A-K-E-K-E, excuse me, MailShake. Um, and I'll, I'll upload those. I can create different, uh, different campaigns. I can turn them off and turn them on. And I can, I can add sequencing to those campaigns to sequence through. Once the campaigns run its course, I can, I can add more messages on the end of it and immediately start sending back to those. It keeps track of who unsubscribed. So I don't have to do any of that. It keeps track of all of those things. It's got a lead capture function on there as well. So if anybody does respond, it'll capture all those in, in the lead function. So it keeps track of statistics as well, really well on a dashboard of, of how well your campaigns are doing. Um, there's some A-B testing you can do with it. I haven't gotten into that too much, but I, I really like MailShake for email follow-up. Um, and then if I, if again, if there's somebody, you know, out of that 2000, if I've got 700 that I've got, got voicemail or emails for, and let's say I've got, two or 300 that I really, really think are great opportunities um, or, or really match well, I'll try to find them on LinkedIn as well if I can and inbox them and try to connect on LinkedIn just to try to touch as many points as I can. Um, and then I also keep a stack of envelopes and, uh, and stamps beside my desk for anybody that I can't reach. If I know I've found the owner of a property and there's no contact info out there and I know it's potentially a good deal, you know, I don't mind writing a handwritten letter and dropping it in the mail to somebody. Um, you know, that, that I usually reserve that for if I'm not able to get a hold of somebody, but those tend to be pretty effective, actually. They're very, yeah. I've done, I've done campaigns like that as well, where I've handwritten like, mm-hmm. uh, like a quarterly template where I send to certain mm-hmm. targeted individuals and, and, and buildings. And it's, it's, it works. Yep. It can't work for sure. Um, and one thing I mm-hmm. wanted to kind of touch on as well was related to, you know, the text piece. Cause that's another thing that's, you know, people there, there's, there's two different schools of thought on it. Like whether or not yeah. texting is, 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 is worth in, in, in implementing or not. Have you had any experience with that or would you have any comments on that? I have. And, you know, for me, I don't use it a lot simply because of TCPA compliance. There's so much gray area around that subject. And, you know, I, just the kind of the, the three schools of thought just the three baseline uh, areas that we talked about, calling, emailing, and texting. When you're calling, you should check the do not call list. They're on the do not call list. Just don't call them. It's, it's not worth it. If you're emailing, you have to have an unsubscribe link on there. And if you're texting, technically, as far as I understand, please talk with your attorneys and, and, and talk with a TCPA compliance attorney. But 
from my understanding, technically they have to have opted in to receive text, mass text messages. Now there are certain services out there that discuss, you know, they send them, but they send them one off at a time to get around that. And for me, it's always just been a, a, uh, more of a, a gray area that, you know, the effectiveness of what I've been doing has been relatively effective. So until I get some more information, until I'm, I'm comfortable, I've, I've decided not to pursue that avenue. Yeah. And, and I haven't really had a lot of, you know, effort on that front either. So I couldn't really comment either, but I've gotten, you know, I'm on some, some, you know, local wholesalers, for example, they, they utilize mm-hmm. that a lot yep. here. And, you know, I'm 100%. assuming they subscribed, you know, to some sort of mass campaign on their front. And, yep. and like you said, there is a lot of gray area because I've definitely gotten mass text before that, you know, I don't know how the heck they got, you know, my number and they're doing the yep. mass text, but mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those things that yeah, you know, just thought I'd ask because it is, it sure. is, something yeah. that people do utilize. So, uh, yeah, as far I as I think it's a great thing. If, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead Logan. I, no, I think it's highly effective. No, it's okay. It's, it's highly effective. I mean, I, the, from, for those who I know who have used it, I, I, I know it's highly effective. Um, and if you do have a list of, you, you know, folks who have opted in and, and have agreed to, to accept, you know, that type of messaging, then, I mean, we're, we're all moving towards text. I mean, it, I mean, if you just imagine your everyday life, more and more people are texting and not picking up the phone to make a call. So it is, it is, it can be very effective, but you know, for me, it's just a matter of uh, wanting to be sure I'm compliant. Yeah, no. And and, and I mean, with the volume that you're doing, as far as prospecting is concerned, it all it takes is one or two people to just be, you know, difficult about it. And then, you know, it could cause issues. So I definitely don't blame you for not, not wanting to go down that track, but as far as the, uh, the, the other piece regarding resources. So uh, as far as people Mm -hmm. out there, so if, if, if they're looking to, you know, implement this into their, into their business and they want to be as effective as possible, what type of resources would you recommend that they utilize? And maybe, you know, just through your efforts of reading or, you know, maybe some mm-hmm. you know, webinars or meetups or anything that you've done that, that, that you think really added some value that, that could be a value to yeah. our audience. Yeah. I, 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 uh, fanatical prospecting is a book by Jeb Blunt. I love that book. And it kind of, it's kind of the kick in the pants of like, you know, if you want to be successful, you got to get over your fears type of book. I love that book. Um, all of the systems and softwares that we talked about have almost everyone has 100, 100, 200, 300 YouTube videos out there, either from the company themselves or from users who are, are doing reviews and doing demos. So, uh, you know, if you if you want to learn about any of those softwares, um, check that out. You know, you can also just do a simple Google search or a YouTube search, best CRMs for commercial real estate. And you'll, you'll get a thousand videos that pop up and you can go through and kind of see which one you like the best, you know, different people have different ways they, they like to interact. And, and so I think you can, you can kind of get a good idea of the flow of the website and the, the, the software to see which one you like best. So I spend a lot of time on YouTube. I do, I do listen to some podcasts. Uh, there's a few that I, I really like, again, the, the, uh, the Jeb Blunt podcast, Jeb Blunt has a podcast um, and it is called one second. His podcast is the Sales Gravy Podcast, mm-hmm. um, and I listen to that one uh, quite a bit. Uh, there's another one called Blissful Prospecting that I listen to as well, and both of those I, I really like because they're they're basically about sales outreach or prospecting outreach. So, um, if anybody's looking to learn more about prospecting, I highly recommend uh, those two podcasts to listen to. Yeah, definitely. And, and another thing I was curious about asking as well is related to you know the time you set aside to you know, number one prospect, and then also work on your business. You know, we talked about, uh, mm-hmm. this is one of the things that, you know, we are independent contractors, but we do run our own independent yep. business. So, you know, how, I guess, mm-hmm. how much time do you typically allocate towards out, prospecting and also 
building the systems that support whatever your yeah. business development efforts are. Yeah. So when you're just getting started, there's going to be this, this large chunk of time up front to get this stuff situated and, and, and you're just going to have that and you're going to have less time to do the actual prospecting. But I, I'm at the point now where I typically spend, I'll try to time block about two hours a day for prospecting if I can. If it's a busy day, I'll try to time block one hour, but I try to set that 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock hour as kind of a, you know, an hour that cannot be messed with. It has to be for prospecting if I can. And if, and if that gets moved because a client wants to meet or what, or, or so on and so forth, or anything in the, in the course of business changes that, you know, that I have to be at, then, then I'll, I'll, my number one priority is to re re uh, allocate that hour somewhere else. And like I said, you know, if, as I'm using the dialer, I can, I can call relatively quickly through these, uh, through these. So an hour I can get a lot done. It changes a little bit when I'm dealing with, if I'm calling on businesses, because usually there's a secretary that answers every time, or there's a receptionist and, and there's, it takes a little bit more time than, than just pounding through the list. But I try to set at least that hour aside every day. Um, and then I'll try to set at least maybe an hour or two every day for progressing my business forward, working on my business and not just in it, not just handling, you know, listings or handling, uh, you know, marketing uh, content, so on and so forth. So it doesn't always work out that way from the, the system side of it. So for me, I try, I try to think about what's going to move the needle in my business more than anything. And I know for me, the more conversations I can have with the owners of properties, the more business I can do. And so I prioritize that over everything. Um, and I know that if I don't let, if I don't keep that pipeline full, it's eventually going to dry up. So that for me is, is priority number one, you know, priority number two are my clients and making sure that they're taken care of. And then priority number three is, is making sure that I can actually get done what I need to get done in terms of creating new systems and, and making my systems more efficient. Phenomenal, phenomenal insight, really. Um, great. Well, I, I wanted to kind of give us some flexibility near the end of the meeting to, to allow for our audience to ask questions if they have any questions in particular, or maybe a little bit more granular that you'd like to ask. I'll be checking the chat box here on Zoom. And then I also, we are live on, on LinkedIn as well. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, ask uh, you all who are watching, if you have any insights, we'll uh, go ahead and ask Logan. All right, I'm checking LinkedIn. In the meantime, Logan, did you uh, did you have anything that you think would be of value to the audience that maybe I just didn't ha didn't ask you? Hmm, that's a good question. That's a good question. You know, I I do. I think that especially if you've never done any sort of cold calling before, um, I always relate it to going to the gym, right? And if you've if you've not gone to the gym and you're just starting a new gym membership and you go day one and work out for three hours, you're not going back for a week because you're sore, you're tired, you're not the next day you're going to wake up, you were motivated day one, you're going to wake up day two, and you're gonna be like, man, I really don't want to do that again. That's three hours of my time. So much like that, you know, I recommend starting small. So if you go to the gym for 15 minutes, the first time and just hop on the treadmill and walk and leave, it's really easy to get up and do that the next day. Or if you're working out from home, and you get up and just walk around your neighborhood, it's really easy to continue that, that level of activity. And it's the same thing with cold calling. So if you're just starting, I wouldn't recommend blasting through 100, 200 calls in a day because uh, you're going to get burned out very quickly. I would build that muscle. So I would say, you know, today I'm going to make five calls. Maybe tomorrow I'll make six or, or maybe five is enough. Maybe, maybe five for the whole week because you're just terrified of it. So this week I'm going to make five calls. Next week I'm going to make six calls. Before long, if you build that way, you'll be to the point where you've had enough conversations and you're confident and you can just sit down there and blast through it. And that also gives you time 
to build your systems. Like I said, at the fir- at the outset, you're going to spend a lot of time setting those systems up. So you may not have as much time to call, but but just so you know, you're you're making some progress. Start small. Make sure that you get you know you get those reps in, and then you can build as you go. Uh, if you if you've worked for a you know telecommunications company or, or telemarketing and you're used to being on the phone all day, maybe you can just jump right in. But if you haven't and that scares you a lot, that's how I would recommend getting over that. Definitely great advice. So Saif, he hey so if he he asks, where do you get the CRE leads from? Uh, like contact information for property owners. I think you alluded mm-hmm. to it at the beginning, but I'd I'd like to yeah. There's a lot of different ways to do it. So there's several different services. Um, Freonomy is great. I really like Freonomy. There's another one that I haven't used. It's called Prospect Now. That is another uh, commercial real estate uh, database. Um, CoStar is another one that you can utilize where you can pull properties and ownership data. Um, and then you can use, uh, like I said, you can hire somebody from Fiverr. I just hired a gentleman to pull a list of uh, various different uh, industry or companies that, that operate in various different industries around one of my listings in Florence, South Carolina, that I want these types of people because I think they may be interested in this property. So you can do that and they'll, they'll pull business owners, business names, email addresses, you know, phone numbers, all that fun stuff. So um, there's a lot of different ways to go about it. You could either you could either subscribe to those systems or you can hire someone who who has access to that data to build your list. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you, and if you're trying to do some of the research yourself, a lot of times like the local assessor's office is going to have a lot of information that you can garner regarding mm-hmm. who the ownership group is. And, you know, the people who own real estate, a lot of times they'll, they'll own it with a corporation. So you can go to the secretary of yep. state website and look through the principles to see who the owners of the, of the corporation are that own the real estate. And then you can do back searches on those individuals to, you know, pull, pull contact Absolutely. information. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of how Absolutely. I started out when I first started, cause I didn't have access to any of those sites. So I just went, it was very cumbersome and long, but again, it's just, that's the process you take. And, you know, fast people search, uh, is a free site. The, the phone numbers there are okay, but you know, 50% hit mm-hmm. rate maybe, but you know, if you don't have the resources to do it right out, right off the bat, it's a good, uh, it's a good starting point. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's, there's a lot of different, uh, opportunities out there to, to sift through those. So like I mentioned, the do not call list, um, I think it's just dnc.com. There's a service that I've used that will allow you to uh, sort through those. So if you have a thousand numbers, it'll say, okay, these 300 on the DNC list. And out of the 700 that are left, they'll send a ping to make sure it's a good number. And then there may be 400 after that that are left. So it saves you some time from calling through all those numbers that are no good. Um, but Ravel, that's great advice. You know, you know, so many of these businesses or so many of these owners are through our, our businesses, their LLCs, their corporations, so what have you. So looking through the Secretary of State site, if you can't get that information, you know, that's where LinkedIn can, can be super helpful if they've got a, you know, a, a consumer, an outward facing brand that you can get a hold of through LinkedIn, then that's, that's a great way to get a hold of that contact information. You may just have to contact them through there. Yeah, no, great advice, really. All right, so Blake, hey, Blake, he asks, what are, what other resources would you recommend for vetting potential clients and properties, i.e. lease lease expiration, CMBS data, et cetera? Yeah. So potentials like I, the, for me personally, I go out, I like to look for uh, a couple of different options. One tentative properties, because that's where a lot of the folks who, uh, who um, I, I work with are looking for, but sale leasebacks. I work with a lot of sale leasebacks. So I look for properties that are owned and operated by a business uh, that, you know, the business is operating in that, that area. Um, so, you know, for me, I, I can, I can sort through those different filters, Reonomy and, and CoStar and find those people to specifically go after it. Um, but you know, if you're just starting out, 
find out what the buyers want and then go find that. That's, that's the simplest way I could put it to, to sort for those things. So if buyers say, Hey, I look, look, I want something with, you know, uh, I want at least three years left on the lease, or I want at least seven years left on the lease. You know, there may be a little bit more manual uh, work to find that stuff out because that, that may not be something that's public record. So you may have to do a little bit more digging the, uh, you know, maybe calling the, the, the most recent, uh, broker maybe they'll give you the information maybe they won't or if the owner will give you that information i've had i've had owners that'll you know the second i get them on the phone they want to tell me everything about their property but you know trying to find that that information in advance is sometimes difficult so i just try to set myself up for success as best i can by understanding first what my clients want and then trying to sort for those things yeah great advice and you even mentioned like the the barrier when you first talk to someone if you come at the the conversation saying what can i do for you how can i find something for mm -hmm. you then you know that that yeah. obviously most of the time at least brings the guard down a little bit so that's a very yeah. very smart yeah. way to approach the process yeah and, and it's in from the from the business owner that owns and operates out of the business you know it's it's, it's very similar but I'll, I'll just offer you know hey i'm sure you're aware the market has gone up and, and industrial is is wild right now you know if you ever want any information on the market and you know what you know places are going for on a dollar per square foot rate or what 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 places are leasing for you know if you ever have any spare space i'd be happy to give you that information for free and sometimes you know a lot of them want to know you know yeah i want to know what my places were you know that's a that's a pretty common thing for for any business owner or, or property owner to want to know what their property's worth so that's a very quick end to provide value right up front and potentially get a meeting hey i pulled that information can i bring it into you next tuesday and that's a that's that's a great way to to kind of break down those barriers Absolutely. Great advice, man. Really. All right. So I'm check LinkedIn real quick just to make sure we don't have any questions, but I think, I mean, you had, you had, you had, you probably had a lot of insight today. So I think that, you know, a lot of people Good. gain some value from it. Um, Good. all right. It Good. looks like we are all, uh, done as far as the questions are concerned. So Logan, thanks. Thanks so much for stopping by. I really do appreciate your time. And, you know, I'm glad we were able to get this, uh, this meeting and, you know, the, hopefully the, the people who are listening today got some value from it. As far as, you know, if people wanted to learn more about you, uh, obviously you're, 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 you're an up and coming influencer in the commercial real estate space. So I would highly encourage you guys to follow him on all the different social platforms on LinkedIn, YouTube, et cetera. But if, if people wanted to get in contact you for with you to learn a little bit more about what you're doing, or, you know, if, if any business owners are listening and, and they're in the, the area and they want to, you know, potentially talk to you about any type of, you know, opportunities that they may have, what, how would they get in contact with you? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. They can, uh, you know, you can, again, you said, reach out to me on all the channels. I'm on LinkedIn. If they're on LinkedIn, they can message me there. Uh, feel free to reach out to me. If, if you're, uh, if it's not a business thing and maybe you just have a question, you can reach me on my personal email. It's just my first and last name and the number one at gmail.com. Um, if it is business related, my, my email is Logan at Costello REI, that's C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O-R-E-I.com. Um, I do, uh, have the true commercial real estate podcast. It's a, it's a group that gets together twice a month and, uh, it's, it's primarily a mastermind and networking group, but we ultimately end up hosting someone to talk once a month. So you can follow us on YouTube there, check out some of the folks, uh, we've had on there and it's a, it's a great time. So, um, yeah, feel free to reach out to me in any, any of those mediums. Oh, for sure, man. Oh, and we'll include all those, that information in the show notes below. So if you guys are listening to this in a podcast format, an Apple podcast or Spotify, it'll be in the description. And if you guys are watching this on YouTube uh, and, or LinkedIn or wherever else, it'll be in the description as well. So you guys can access that. So again, Logan, thank you much, so much for your time. Thank you all for tuning in this, this, for this uh, 
edition of the Commercial Real Estate 101 podcast, and we'll see you all next time. See you guys.